Unfortunately, more times than not, people are being told that they are loved in the church, but they are not experiencing love. They feel condemned or criticized because they are being told to do more, try harder, or be holier without a foundation of genuine love. That is a quote from Tina Smith's book, Renewing Our Minds in Love. And she is my guest this week on the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Come on in. Get your favorite beverage, a warm cup of tea, hot chocolate, flavored coffee, whatever it is you enjoy. I am glad to be here with you. I was just thinking the other day that I have been doing this for three years now. Actually, November was my three-year anniversary of the podcast, and I didn't really acknowledge that or even do anything for the anniversary this year. I just had way too much going on. As you guys all know, I had a few surgeries, and it was just overwhelming to go back to work and keep the podcast going through the last six months. So if you're here and you've been here from day one of the podcast, please tell me who you are. (laughs) I'd certainly personally like to thank you for being here with me these past three years. And welcome to the new listeners who are maybe finding the podcast from somebody else or just a search on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Welcome. I hope that you enjoy the content, the guests, some Bible studies I just finished. Go back and listen to some episodes that sound interesting to you. I put a lot of hard work into bringing you the best podcast I can possibly do with my energy level and resources that I have. So today is no exception to an awesome podcast. We have today my guest, Tina Smith, and she's going to be here talking about her book, Renewing Our Minds in Love. She is a psychotherapist, a registered social worker, teacher, and host of the Rewired by Love program. So she is about healing emotional trauma and specifically equipping the church with the tools to help do so. In our current cultural environment, families and leaders are increasingly encountering individuals affected by mental health issues, abuse, trauma, and sadly, faith-based trauma at an alarming rate. The uncomfortable reality is much of the church is simply not equipped to handle the complexities those struggles involve, let alone unaware of the tools and methods needed to help people heal, particularly when it comes to religious trauma. So that's what Tina and her book is all about. 
So I was very intrigued about what she has to say on this topic that is near and dear to my heart, of course, and to yours. Those of us have been through religious drama. So I hope that you enjoy this episode with my guest, Tina Smith. Please welcome my guest today, Tina Smith. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I heard you on Jeff Price's show, the fun interview. Oh, yes, it was fun. Yeah, it was great. So I was very intrigued to have you on the show. Now you talked about something different, more about marriage in that particular interview, but really was interested about the church and faith-based trauma, which we are all very familiar with on this podcast. Our, our listeners and a lot of my guests are talking about that very topic. We need the tools to help the churches that really care about their congregation. And mm. we need healing for the survivors that have suffered that trauma from the rotten churches. Oh, Am I yeah. right? <laughs> yep. You are exactly right. And you are a psychotherapist, a social worker, a teacher. You have a Rewired by Love radio program. Yep. Have you always wanted to be a psychotherapist? <laughs> have I always? Well, it's funny because when I was a kid, I think I just wanted to help people. I don't know where that desire came, but I think as we're in high school, no one really knows. What does that look like? Where do I go to school? Do I go to school? So I just think I continue to figure it out. I remember, did I want to be a uh, public school teacher? So I did like a high school placement in high school. I'm like, no, I don't know how teachers do it. My goodness. I could, I knew that wasn't my call. So I just truly, I, my goodness, I have a funny story too, where I thought I wanted to be a police officer. So mm. I know I kid you not. I went off to college and I did what was the program at the time was called law and security. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go in college and I'm going to, I'm going to become a police officer. I had no clue. So I remember I was on a place and so we had to do an internship with one of the police. So I did a, a placement with the Ontario Provincial Police, so the OPP. And this is where I became probably more aware of what I wanted to do. And I remember the police officer that I was with, we had to pick someone up and we had to put them in jail at the local detachment there. And I realized in that moment that I actually wanted to go sit with the person that was behind the bars, that I didn't want to just be the person to put handcuffs on and just like walk away and kind of almost do that. I just, it felt really yucky to me. So I thought, no, I can't. That's when I literally changed up my course of education. I went off to university after that and I started to figure out like, how, do, how can I help people? And that's where I went and got my social work degree and just continued to build from there. And here I am as now a therapist and I have, I own two and two practices, a director at both of them, continuing wanting to see people's lives change. So yeah, it's always such been an interesting journey. I love that story. You want to be the guy behind the counter helping people and being that <laughs> they always have the counselor mindset and just a yeah. good listener. You want to be that person instead of the book. Uh -huh. Welcome, Dano. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's totally right. Yes, I didn't want to be that person. But for those <laughs> that don't even know what, what is a psychotherapist, if you don't mind saying. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because it, I would say it's probably a newer term as well, because I think a lot of times people hear either they've heard the term social worker, which is often paired up with taking kids from homes, which is not predominantly what social workers do. They actually have a very expansive role in, in our world. And then psychologists people know about, and then psychotherapists out of nowhere became, I, I think, a newer term here in Canada. It's been used, but it's more formalized. So Ultimately, it just means someone who digs in deep to the wounds of our experiences. It's someone that comes in and just doesn't want to give you a tool or a strategy, which is typically counseling. It's more of an understanding. There's more deep healing and techniques and research-based methods that require a lot more work. So we see psychotherapists tend to approach it from more of a longer term understanding of supporting someone. It's not, you're not in and out overnight. You are, there is a process to it. So it's more deeper than what I would say counseling is. So that's probably the best way I can describe it. And for Ontario, where you're at, what kind of education is required to, to be Mm -hmm. a psychotherapist? Yeah. So yeah, it's an awesome question. I think the interesting thing is years ago, there was two governing bodies. One was social workers and one was the psych- uh, psychologist. So we had all of these individuals who were going off to get like just regular, like general uh, university degrees and the community wasn't being protected. So they would, you know, start up a business and call themselves a therapist, but no one was regulating them and harm oh. was happening. Oh, my word. Yes, there was harm because, again, there's no accountability. There's no governance. So about, I'm going to say three, four years ago, the government brought in what's called the Canadian Psychotherapist Regulatory Body that oversees kind of all of those degrees that didn't fit in psychology and didn't fit in social work. So now what's required is you have to do some form of undergrad humanities degree. And and the interesting thing I would say to be a psychotherapist, you can do marriage and family therapy degree. You can do uh, like an undergrad in psychology, not necessarily become a PhD, an actual psychologist. You can do, I'm trying to think of what other ones, there is a new uh, university degree in this area. It's actually a psychotherapy degree. So any of those ones that don't fit in the other regulatory bodies fit in that regulatory body. So you can do a lot of undergrad degrees. It is recommended if you go out on your own to have a graduate degree, so a master's Mm -hmm. degree, Mm -hmm. and then you would apply to the registration and you can call yourself a registered psychotherapist here. I believe I'm a really uh, big proponent on people getting supervision and having someone oversee you, like not to go off on your own and try and figure this out. Cause I think that's where harm happens. So yes. we have seen that in the field. Yeah. yeah. Here in the States, it's like, you see a lot of life coaches. Oh goodness. And That's a whole other show. I have lots of yeah. opinions. And I know. So I always like when I have people that are professionals on the show, I like to talk about this because you have these life coaches that you can put a shingle up and say, you're a life coach and you have no training whatsoever and they're out doing things they shouldn't be doing whereas when you go to a professional that has a license in the state or the country that they're where they live there are protections in place for as you said for people because i've had folks on the show that were abused by their therapists yes i was just gonna say i i don't think people actually will understand that some of the work that people do with us 
is a result of the damage that's been caused by life coaches or untrained uh, therapists who were not regulated or not regulated well, because these ones now it's a little bit different here because you have to get so much supervision hours. Now, once you have your supervision hours, you don't have to continue, which I think there's danger in that. I think people should have always have mm-hmm. someone that they can check in with and make sure that they're still governing properly. I have so many concerns about life coaches. Years ago, I put a post on social media because I was seeing life coaches get involved with trauma survivors and doing things that was actually causing more harm and more mm-hmm. and destabilization. And I spoke out about it and I said, please stop doing this. It's actually you're beyond your scope of practice. And because they're not governed, they can kind of take all of these courses and think that they then can help people with really substantial concerns. And that's such so risky to people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And my other category is biblical counselors. Oh. Pastors and these biblical counselors that don't have any state licensing and they think that the psychologists are evil and all you need is the Bible and all you need is prayer. I have a very strong faith and prayer and Bible reading are important to me, but you do need a professional to help you through some of these mental health issues. You can't just wish it away and think it's going to disappear. No. And I think the problem with that is so many people who look for help outside of their church is immediately what I hear within that is they will say, Tina, I keep hearing the same thing. I'm not praying enough and I'm not reading my Bible enough. And there's such a myth around that perception that people who are suffering or struggling, it's almost like they've stopped reading their Bible, which is the opposite is true. And so I just see more harm and more shame, more condemnation that's placed upon people. And people walk away becoming disillusioned by God, because I don't think the leadership recognize that if this is the message and I'm going for biblical counseling and they don't understand how substantial my wounds are, such as if you have someone who's been abused as a child and they're struggling today, and then the biblical counselor said, wants to just give them scriptures, they're not understanding the implications to their nervous system, their brain. Like we are mm-hmm. more than just spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And that really has been overlooked by the church. Yes. For- we, mm-hmm. we need to understand Yes, the body needs care. I've been in healthcare for the last 15 years, primarily in in the pharmacy realm. And you take a pill for diabetes or you take a pill for cholesterol or you take a pill for whatever it is. And that's okay, but getting help for depression or suicide or, oh, that's a sin. Well, that's, it's not right. a sin to be depressed. It's not a sin to have anxiety. It's no, it's, it's not. a mental health issue. It's a medical issue. Yeah. And there hasn't been an understanding about that part. And then if there's no understanding, then people don't feel supported by their church. And the churches really need to figure that out because the greater cost is people leave the church. People end up not just leaving the church. And as they walk away from church, then they start to question the relationship with God and whether they're loved. And then- We've got people who then walk away from their faith. And I think sometimes people think that people just walk away from their faith because, oh, they've just, they're a sinning person. So they walked away. Well, I would say, what is the dripping tap of 
things that the church is doing Mm -hmm. that causes people to feel not supported, not loved, not walked beside. And it results in like, why would they want to stay in church then if that's their experience? And I'm not ever suggesting that's not, that's a good thing, but I want to tell people that I get it. Like I get it. I've heard enough hurt stories by churches, not just leadership, but by church people where if that's where you're getting your experience, the world seems nicer. This world seems friendlier mm-hmm. because the world is talking about these things in a way that is more supportive than the church. So we yes. certainly have to do, we've got to figure this out. Yeah. For my experience, my, my first husband was very abusive and mm-hmm. we were church leaders. And when I drag him to counseling in the church, they would just say, well, Diana, if you were just submitting to your husband, then you wouldn't have any marriage problems. You're the one that's creating the problem. And that is completely wrong. It is very wrong. And I think a a lot of women, especially professionals are looking at that scripture and saying, no, like submission doesn't mean abuse. Like that is not scriptural. And even if we line Jesus up with that, Jesus would not be a proponent of saying submission looks like your wife is should be abused. That's opposite of the fruit of the spirit. That's so interesting how the church has got to this place. And I think the more we talk about it and the more we're digging into these experiences for people, the more the church has to, that they've got to be accountable to where we've gone wrong, where the church has gone wrong mm-hmm. so that we can correct it. What's really interesting to me, I work with unbelievers just as much as I work with Christians. And I can't even count on my hand how many times I've heard non-Christians say to me, I don't get you guys as a church. You guys don't get along. You seem very disunified. You don't support the people in your church in a way that they have a voice. It seems like there's no accountability. And I'm listening to these stories over, and this isn't just one person. This is through the years, because I've been in this field for a very long time. Like I started in this field in 1997 and just... So these are stories that have built, which I think I should write a book about all these stories. Yes. Unbelievers perspective of Christians, right? And so I thought, my goodness, they're not like, they're not wrong. If this is their viewpoint and we're supposed to be a city on a hill, expressing the light of Jesus Christ and bringing hope to the world. If this is their experience as onlookers. I get it. A church needs to be more accountable. It needs to be, how do we create messages of hope and show people that they truly are loved? It doesn't mean we change up the truth. And I think churches who are trying to navigate that, the watering down is not the, the way either, but there, there still has to be a different approach to it. When you mention about believers looking at Christianity, my husband and I, we stayed with a French family in south of France, and he's a Buddhist. And he's a real Buddhist, not like the ones in the yep. yoga studios that pretend to be Buddhist. <laughs> he's actually gone on these retreats with the Dalai Lama and such. Oh, wow. And we sat and we chatted for breakfast. And he said, you, Christians are nothing like Jesus that you have in your Bible. That is what I have a problem oh. with. Exactly. I like Jesus. I don't like yeah. Christians. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what's interesting. Most people will say, I, I like the character of Jesus. Jesus would be a really cool guy to, to sit with. And they and the idea of, yeah, like out of anybody, everybody wants to sit with Jesus. I'm like, okay, so how do we take that on? Because 
our experiences, Jesus spent more time challenging the Pharisees. He spent more time rebuking the Pharisees mm-hmm. who were the religious legal keepers. And yet those who were broken and bruised and suffering, not at any point did he come in and break them even more. He was just so, so merciful and loving and in that approach, he could then say, then sin no more, but it wasn't the other way around. It's like, stop sinning. And it's Jesus was so relational. And how do we approach things in first relationship before mm-hmm. we try to tell people how their living is wrong, which my goodness, we know we're supposed to take the plank out of our own eye first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes in, in that department, but I'm trying to be like okay am i being that light to others am i being the jesus that they want to be with not just some judgmental or quoting bible verses out of context or being (laughs) critical of somebody and instead of being understanding and loving and compassionate and i tell my survivors you have a problem with religion i get it but look uh, at Jesus. What did, did he do? How did he treat women? How did he treat the oppressed of his yes. day? And yes, he he looks different than the church today, unfortunately. He, he looks different than the church today. Yeah, that is so very true. Is there mm-hmm. any hope for the church today? <laughs> I would say I think certain churches are starting to wake up. But I would say it's not denominationally based. It's really the people within the churches. I was just in this beautiful community just the other day, and I went to a ministerial meeting, and it was a bunch of the churches got together, and it was a a time of connection. And I came into this room, and I was looking at this group of people And like lots of fun stories they had, I came in and they were wearing this sweater that said hashtag same team. And I thought, and a few of them were wearing the sweater. And I like, I just said, I absolutely love the sweater. I said, can you tell me what this is all about? So it was a leadership ministerial meeting. And one of the pastors said, well, the food bank in our local city reached out and basically said, would you guys be willing to start to get your congregation to donate to the food bank. So the church took it on and they thought, Hey, why don't we reach out to another church to see if we can have this like fun little competition. So another church got added and then another church got added. And it was this friendly competition that brought these churches together in unity. And what I loved was here's a Pentecostal church, Pentecostal leader and a Baptist leader who were literally friends and spend time together and are connected And I just said to them, you know what? I bet you God is looking down and smiling that his children are getting along. And I said, that is the example of what we as churches need to do is get rid of this, get hung up on doctrine, how we worship. Do you believe in the gifts of the spirit? We need to put those things aside and say, it really is about Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus. Let's come around together around him. And that was such a beautiful experience for me to walk in and say, wow, you guys are, you're trying to figure this out. I'm sure it looks messy and imperfect, but this was a good example of like, is there hope for the church? I think when our churches start to figure out how to work together and actually through that and knowing how to love each other 
in spite of our differences, that's where we're going to see an, an impact. That's where I truly think. But I think when one church tries to figure it out in isolation, I think that's where it gets messy when we're not staying accountable. So if all the leaders of every single denomination got together, everybody could challenge them and say, well, I, yes, I can appreciate your worship. But does that feel like Jesus in that? Does it feel like is? And so I think there's a great way of organically holding accountability to the leaders of the church and not about competition and saying, I'm doing it better. Oh, you're doing it wrong. It's like, no, does it look like Jesus? He's the hope of the world. So let's make sure that we're doing that. Okay, everyone, that is a great place to stop to continue for next week on what Tina Smith has to say. All the things that she said so far are gold, are so helpful, and she really understands what we are going through, doesn't she? I've heard her talk on many podcasts, and I think that next week is going to solidify it even more. She is going to give us some real tools in how to deal with the religious trauma that we've been experiencing And for those that are church leaders that are listening, you have some things that you can learn to incorporate into your church community, whatever community that is. So please come back next week with Tina Smith and myself, of course. God bless you and goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.